Who is wise? The one who learns from others. Welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. This is a podcast where long-form conversation allows us to connect with those who inspire us beyond small talk and social media posts we're bombarded with on a daily basis. Join me on a journey where I speak to people from all backgrounds with different perspectives, each sharing their stories, struggles, and successes. Be a part of a community where you connect to something greater than yourself. I'm your host, Karen Corian, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. You're listening to episode 56 of Soul Sessions with KK. I'm your host, Karen Corian, and in this episode, I'm interviewing Tamara Miller-Davis. She is the author of Despite the Buzz, and in this week's episode, she is teaching me what the process of writing a book is like. She explains what letter to write her first book and why her book is relevant for our times. She wrote this story in response to technology's toll on teachers and students. The novel is also about timely social issues and topical interests. Set in 2019, Tamara captivates a multi-generational audience with her interesting characters, witty observations, romantic elements, educational insights, and thematic material that almost everyone can resonate with. Whether you grew up before or after the invention of smartphones, you will appreciate this cautionary tale. The colorful book dives into topics of digital distraction, electronic accountability, and online exposure in a way that's engaging and exciting. Despite the buzz of what's going on in your phone, this artful book will definitely grab your attention and keep you reading. Enjoy the show. Today, I'm honored to have Tamara Miller-Davis on the show. She has her book, Despite the Buzz, that's being sold in bookstores and on Amazon. It's independently published. It's on bookshop.org, and it's on her website, despitethebuzz.com. Tamara, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. So tell us how what motivated you to write this story. Well, thank you for your time reading it, and I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Um, I got ideas through parenting and teaching, and um, over the years, I've sort of struggled with text tug, if you will, and once upon a time, I asked myself, what can I do to help the cause of digital wellness and restraint and literacy? And I decided I could write about it. I've always been a journaler and journaling helps me. It's therapeutic. And I wanted to research more about the subject of screen use and support others through uh, my contribution. And I'm a recent storyteller. And I wanted to, um, I've performed with USA Today. And I've I wanted to challenge myself to produce something bigger and learn about the book writing process and the publication process. And also I was picking up ideas through parenting. I have two kids and teaching. I'm a substitute and summer camp teacher. And um, I personally was feeling the tug of tech and um, 
once upon a time, I asked myself, what can I do to help the cause and to help myself find moderation and balance with technology and screen use? And I decided to write about it. Beautiful. So I'm, yeah, I'm using the filter of fiction um, to write about a cause that I care about. And there are, are a lot of causes to care about in the world. And I decided to invest time and energy into researching this one and presenting it from various uh, creative angles. The book, I believe, is intended for 16-year-old and up, right? But I'm reading this, and I'm really enjoying it. As a millennial, I feel the plight of the main character, who I believe is a millennial herself. And there's a lot of references to, like, 80s and 90s music that I related to, just like, old references that I feel like only millennials would get, but then it also has ideas in the book where like Gen Z and even younger generations can relate to as well. So it's very interesting how you put all that together. So I guess my question is like, who is your target audience? Thank you. Yeah, um, so to contextualize it for listeners, it is academically set realistic fiction with contemporary content. And it is intended for um, readers 14 and up, I would say. Originally I did think 16, but people kept telling me that they could envision it on a high school classroom shelf. And so um, I lowered the rating to 14 and I think it, it is appropriate and the speed bit feedback supports that. Um, but it's really geared for parents and teachers of kids and teens growing up now. So people your age, my age, people uh, who are wondering what to do about getting their kids cell phones or not, how much screen time to allow, how to moderate and balance that in their lives. And also this comes up in the classroom, depending on the school policy. So it is a multi-generational story. The main character um, is an older millennial and yeah. fl she flashes back sometimes and she has um, a lasting relationship with her mom. I don't wanna give too much away, but um, people of various ages have enjoyed it. Um, a high school sophomore recently told me it was his favorite realistic fiction book. Beautiful. And uh, people my mom's age in their 60s are giving me great reviews and feedback as well. Yeah, that's what I was feeling when I was reading the book. The teens I mentor would love this book. My mom's age would love this book because I feel like everybody would get the references and everybody feels the tug of tech, like you said. So where did you feel that tug of tech the most? Did you feel it mostly at schools you were teaching at? Did you feel it at home? Okay, so the tuck of tech, I would say all of the above to answer your question. Uh, I noticed it in school when teachers say yes to cell phones. I get it because they are a tool and they can be used for research, reading, calculating, and otherwise. But once you say yes, it's hard to get adolescents to use the cell phones responsibly. Because as you and I know, you get out your cell phone to do one thing and then a text pops in or you think of something else you want to do on email or social media and um, it's all consuming. And then all of a sudden 
sudden the student's looking at the phone instead of at the teacher or their peers or doing, you know, participating in the lesson. And that's hard. It's hard to hold on to the student's attention as a teacher. And I've uh, subbed and taught summer camp in various schools, charter, private, and public. And I've observed classrooms that allow cell phones and others that don't. And research, research shows that students do better in school when cell phones are not allowed. And um, that's because elementary students are subject to bullying, online bullying. Middle school students are at risk for depression. And social media brings up issues of isolation and inclusion. And that can lead to uh, a variety of problems, as you know, as a coach and mentor to teenagers. And uh, their brains just aren't fully developed yet to have that impulse control and that restraint to say, no, I'm not going to do that right now. And I see teens in class with phones in their lap sometimes, and they're trying to hide it and so forth. So I sympathize with teachers because I get that it is a tool. One thing I noticed, especially like since the pandemic and the lockdowns, where the iPads and Zooming and Kahoot and just all of these forms of communication that had to be used online, it wasn't just a tool, it was like a necessity. Mm -hmm. And I feel like before the lockdown, my kids were so much happier, so much simpler. They didn't even have to use, like, they didn't even care about using a screen. And then all of a sudden, it became like a dependency because the schools required it. Like you can't participate in your classroom if you don't have an iPad for each kid, if you don't have Zoom, if you don't have all these other forms of communication. I know you wrote this book pre-pandemic, but what kind of insight would you have added if you wrote this book post-pandemic? Yeah, the story is set in 2019. Yeah. Um, set, it's fictional, but in the fall of 2019. And, um, and the pandemic was, is a unique situation. And I think teachers turned to Zoom as an emergency situation. It was a, you know, better than nothing. And it did allow for some structure, some routine, some connectivity, and it supported parents, you know, to some degree. And I'm so thankful that teachers had that mechanism to teach and, you know, stay in touch with families, um, but it was not ideal. And most of my teacher friends would agree that it was not ideal. They also wanted to be back in person. Um, and, you know, it, it also comes down to values and how uh, schools operate. Each school is unique. Each district is unique and they have different policies. And um, that comes into play now, but it did too during the pandemic. And I think everybody did their best to support students and families in a, during that difficult time. But I'm glad that we're back to in-person learning granted the safety measures, you know, are in place and so forth um, so that we can be in person again and um, 
communicate face to face. Yeah. I also noticed the main character in the book, she faces this duality, this problem, especially I feel like a millennial who experienced life before smartphones and life now with the smartphones. Like when I was in middle school, the way I communicated with my parents was through a beeper. And I felt so cool with my beeper. <laughs> Every time my beeper would go off, I'd be like, oh, I'm so important. And they're like, Karen, what are you talking about? It's just her mom. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I know, I know in lives, my life was simpler, mm-hmm. you know? So I just like, I really resonate with this main character. And I feel like every millennial would really resonate with the main character and everybody else would feel like the other characters, their experience would resonate with them. So it's very Mm -hmm. interesting how you put it all together. So I guess my question right now for you is, do you feel like schools are contributing to the problem? Like what else do you think they could do? You know, like, if these are the times, do we adapt to the change? Do we stick to the good old days? Like, how do we, what, what can schools do about it? Well, first, I'm so glad that you're finding the character in the book relatable. Yeah. And I agree that um, the multiple ages that contribute to the story make it relatable to a, a, a wide range of people. So for listeners who haven't interacted with the book yet, I'll say that there are high school students, they are 11th graders, um, inside of a reflective writing classroom, they contribute through dialogue, letters, and journal entries. So their viewpoints matter. And um, the, the main teacher is the main character, and she has a romantic interest. And then her character arc as you'll see, not to give too much away, but she needs to embrace tech and she, she's realizing that. And she's wondering, what do I accept and what do I reject? What works for me? And I think we all have to make those choices. And um, as far as schools go, um, I'm not really in a position to advise <laughs> schools. I, yeah. I um, you know, I'm an ambitious interpreter of the research, especially as it applied to my novel. And um, I do have 12 years subbing experience. I do have an English teaching credential and I do have eight years summer camp teaching experience. So um, I will say that I think Google Classroom and Chromebooks have their place and um, Zoom had its place during the lockdown and remote learning. And I agree with uh, Dr. Delaney Rustin, when it comes to the Away for a Day campaign, it has to do with not having cell phones in schools. That is my opinion. Um, maybe students could have them in their backpack and, you know, take them out after school. That seems acceptable. I've seen them put in um, shoe hangers. Yeah, yeah, I've done that. Them. I've done that I've in schools. Yeah. yeah. Put them, I've seen them put in like a, a bin or a shoe box. You just have and to make they, sure it's not, oh, they're not recording the classroom, which happens, unfortunately, in one of my classrooms. <laughs> they put oh, their really? phone in, and then I, I discovered that they were taping the classroom while I was teaching when they put it away. 
And oh man. Yeah. I just, yeah, but it, it was not like I said anything wrong, but it was just yeah. wrong of them to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, privacy concerns do come up for sure. For sure. And um, that's part of the, the conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know another thing I noticed writing for me is the most helpful way for me to remember, for me to write my thoughts down and my to-do list, everything. I still, like when I wanna make appointments, doctor appointments or anything like that, I still write it in a handheld book. Like I have an organizer that I write in. So today a friend of mine was like, Karen, do you want to do like coffee next Tuesday? I'm like, let me get back to you. I have to check my, my calendar at home. They're like, why do you live in the 1990s? Like put it in your phone. And I'm like, I can't, I just can't. Yeah. So you get me, you get me. And and the main character gets us too. (laughs) Yes, I get you. Uh, If you can't see this, she's showing us all her notes. (laughs) Handwritten notes. You're my spirit animal. So (laughs) another thing I noticed with the main character is that she is struggling between writing in her notebooks versus typing on her laptop or communicating with her students by writing on on their work like dear Stephanie versus shooting them, I don't know, an email or through the online forum. So do you think writing with a pen and paper has become extinct? (laughs) And in what ways is it more beneficial to write the old fashioned way like me and you versus writing quote unquote electronically, AKA typing? Well, I think typing is efficient and it does work for editing, especially Um, if you're writing an email or you're lesson planning or you're writing a book. But when it comes to journaling, I think the meditative aspect of it is really important because you're focused and you're just writing for yourself. You're not writing to share it like we so often do these days. Um, And that might be fading away. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to set my story in a reflective writing classroom, because I think that reflective writing is important. And sure, there are other ways to um, meditate. Some people surf, some people walk, some people, I don't know, swim, bike, you name it. And all of those are good outlets but I don't want to discount writing. And I think writing is available to everybody and um, I encourage it as a therapeutic practice just for yourself. So I think we can have both in our lives. I think we can do our typing and then I think we can do our writing. Yeah. That's my answer. Yes. (laughs) What about reading from an actual book? versus reading from a Kindle, which I see a lot of people doing nowadays. What do you think is more effective? I've never read a book on a screen. Um, I prefer paperback or hardbound books. That works for me because I'm a geographic reader. 
there. I remember where things are on the page. That's just how my brain works. And I like keeping a copy or lending it to a friend. I like highlighting, physically highlighting um, and studying how the book works, even if it's not assigned to me because I'm a reader and a writer. And I have no problem with like Kindles or Nooks because they offer wider access to books. Um, and they don't have, as far as I know, other apps that compete for your attention. But if you're reading on a phone or a computer, there are other things going on that compete for your attention. And that is problematic. And then you're like more skimming. If you're reading into skim, and there's been uh, research done on this that you don't comprehend it as well when you're skimming versus actively reading, engaging in doing a sort of um, a close read. Mm -hmm. Right. If someone who's listening to this wants to delve into writing, perhaps writing a blog or even writing a book, you know, let's say someone has dreams of becoming an author like you, what would you advise this person who wants to achieve their dreams, stay focused on their goal and right away? Okay. Well, to go back to the ebook thing really quickly, um, I just, I don't want to knock that because I do think it, it offers wider access for readership. And that's great. This book is not an ebook though. We should probably say that. Um, it lends itself to a paperback because of the way that, that it's artfully designed in color. And um, yes, I love that, by the way. I love yeah, how the pictures are in color too. And it's a, a commentary on media's influence. So it's also a statement not to have it as an ebook. Right. <laughs> and also don't want, really don't want to take on learning about how to market an ebook right now because it's a different approach than marketing a paperback. So it's like, I can only- <laughs> Yeah, do one thing at a time. Learn so much. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so if you have ambitions to write a book, I would say first, make time and space for it. Maybe a special writing spot in your house could just be a writing corner or something um, and own it. Start to tell people that you're an aspiring author because that will show people that you're serious and hopefully your family and friends will support you in that endeavor. And then just keep at it. I kept a log of how much I was writing or how, either in time or words as I was going along as sort of a pat on my back a pat on the back to myself, like, oh, I wrote a thousand words today, or, or I sat down for three hours today. Um, just to have that running log going um, as a testament to my project and the creation and unfolding of it. So that's, that speaks to the writing aspect. And then once you, um, once you get to a sort of finished product, then I would say tell more people and start to tease out details so you get this foundation of support from people who are interested in what you're doing. And um, also you could ask some friends or professionals, depending on what you're writing, to beta read it. And then I would um, hire a professional editor. There are different levels of editing. I recommend developmental editing and copy editing. 
So developmental edit editing is um, about the plot and the structure and the narration and everything that you could think of that goes along with writing. Um, copy line editing is the nitty gritty punctuation, usage, grammar type stuff that even English teachers miss. So I think yeah. that's worth the investment. And then pay to uh, have it formatted and designed. I think the look of the book, the cover and everything matters because it's this package, right? That you're presenting to people. Um, and then, or maybe beforehand, join some literary networks um, where you can take webinars and get information about publishing because most people, unless you're already plugged into the industry, don't know too much about publishing. And so I learned a lot from writing groups, writing clubs about um, self hybrid and traditional publishing. And there are different methods, different approaches to each, different pros and cons with each. And I chose to go the hybrid route to keep creative control. Although I did initially intend to go to the uh, traditional route. And I did go through the query process, but I didn't try that hard to get a literary agent. Not that I'd turn one away if somebody um, pitched, you know, or reached out to me now. But um, at that time, I wanted to move the project forward. I had already been writing, editing, and such for about four years. And I partnered with the local publisher and designer, and that felt like a really good fit for me. So that's hybrid. It's not self, it's not traditional, but it's independent publishing. And so what am I missing? Um, professional editing, professional design and formatting, cover design, and then you get into promotion, which is another learning curve. Mm -hmm. Promotion, marketing, publicity, contests and reviews. It all matters, but you should write the book anyway. Don't worry about that up front. Just sit down, create time and space. Um, something else that I did that helped me was an old school method. I used Manila folders to organize my work. And I had a folder for characters, of several folders for research and to-do list folders and other related you know, branches to everything. But I had to stay organized in that way with my intentions. Um, I created a timeline by hand yeah. <laughs> um, to keep myself on track with it. And that, that was really useful because as you can see with the story, it's, um, it's organized by section weeks and days. Yeah, so, I love that. Mm -hmm. It also makes it very easy to read. I would offer to parents and teachers, people who are conscientious, um, if you want to sort of raise awareness around screen use, to uh, look at the look at some good resources, and there are some noted in the back of my novel, um, the the documentary Screenagers. I highly recommend that, and she has a a blog. It's called Tech Talk Tuesday. That's Dr. Delaney Rustin. Also, Humane Tech. They um, they have a podcast and that is called Your Undivided Attention. 
I also met, recommend watching um, The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Just yeah, I love that. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, there, there are things we can do. It's not hopeless. You can delay getting your, your child or teenager a cell phone or tablet. You can um, take some control there. You can um, have tech-free zones or times in your house. You can have a charging station that's outside the bedroom. I do not recommend sleeping with your phone unless you need it for medical purposes or you're on call for, for work. You can still use an old fashioned alarm clock, right? Yeah. Um, and the argument might be, well, what about emergencies? What about the weather? Well, if there's heavy weather, you know it, and that might be an exception, but generally speaking, unless there's a hurricane coming or your, your neighborhood's threatened by a fire, that, you know, that's not really applicable. Um, <laughs> so, so I think, you know, you can turn off notifications on your phones. You can set uh, time limits with apps. You can delete apps. And this also applies to your, your kids or your teens' devices. Um, you can just be smart about it. And people like... Delaney Rustin know more than me. And she's offering these tips and tools and suggestions and advice. And I'm just trying to relay it really through the story. Um, I was also inspired by Sherry Turkle and her book Alone Together. Yes. Love her and, work. Yep. Psychologist, professor at MIT and author of multiple books. And then there's a great one called Unselfie. And I recommend by that. Michelle Barboa, I think. Bar Barba, I think is how you yeah. pronounce it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've heard of it. About giving so, your children, helping them have more empathy. That's right. So I just think having these meaningful conversations that you host and, you know, talking about this with friends and family and colleagues makes a difference because we're not the only ones thinking about it. No, nope. we're just the ones talking about it right now. And other people are too. And we're tapping into like-minded conversations and adding to it. I'm doing that through fiction, which might feel more accessible to some because there are people who appreciate the research, but maybe don't want to pick up a nonfiction book. I hope they do. But if there are more inclined to read fiction, well, my book is almost a hybrid of fiction and non because it has educational footnotes. And um, it has resources in the back. It also has book club questions in the back. Um, it is literary because it's academically set, but it also has commercial appeal because it speaks to social issues and topical interests of our time. That's right. I really see this book being provided for children in a classroom as well from the teacher. Thank you for saying that. That would be an honor. Be happy to come in and talk with students about writing, digital wellness, or both, really. Um, like I said, I'm not an expert on the, the, the research behind the story, but I did my absolute best to triple check everything and um, to speak from my heart and to write about causes that I care about from a variety of viewpoints with diversity and inclusion in mind. Really beautiful. And you can see 
all your hard work and your creativity in the book. I highly recommend it to anyone who's listening to this right now. And last but not least, I just want to ask you, is there a message you want to share with your audience right now? You have the mic. Thank you. Um, I would say make space to tell your story, whether it's your personal story through memoir or a story that you're into fiction. Um, social media does lend itself to storytelling and networking, and it is a tool in that way. Um, but we need to be aware that it's also persuasive and addictive and distracting. And there is data being collected on us and used to market to us. And right now we are in this digital experiment together. And I think raising awareness is wonderful. And I'm not talking about censorship. I'm talking about um, social media platforms having accountability and responsibility because they are influencing our day-to-day -day lives. They're influencing the way we think, the way we behave, the way we treat each other. And when you do come across something on social media that feels aggravating, I invite you to either step away and just not engage with it or try to engage from a curious and compassionate standpoint and maybe have a private conversation with that person if you truly want to learn more about where they're coming from instead of arguing on a public uh, page. Because right now, the way that social media is designed, it, uh, it prioritizes outrage. Oh, yeah. And hate. That's and right. that is problematic. Yeah. And um, th that's what uh, Humane Tech is trying to draw awareness to. And I think there are things we can do to improve upon it because it's important to both embrace tech and ask, us, ask ourselves, how is it serving us? How is it not serving us? And what can we do better as users of technology, as um, creators of software, as uh, parents, as teachers? How can we be more mindful? And um, how can we be better digital citizens? How can we you know, teach more media literacy, digital literacy, and digital wellness? I think it's really important because it's not going away. We can't go backwards in time. It's important to look back in time and see what was different, what worked, what we might want to hang on to, like journaling. We can do it smartly. Thank you so much, Tamara. Uh, can you tell me where people can find you if they want to reach out to you? Sure. Thank you for hosting me. Thanks for inviting people onto your podcast to have these meaningful conversations. I'm so thankful to be here. And um, yes, you can find me at despitethebuzz.com. You can find me um, on Facebook under the book title, Despite the Buzz. You can find me on social media, or I'm sorry, on Instagram um, at Tamara Miller Davis and also hashtag Despite the Buzz. I'm on Goodreads under the book title and my name. And the book is for sale on 
Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, bookshop.org. And you can order through me as supplies allow through the website. And there are some local bookstores that carry it now, Timber Books in Ventura and Horizon Books in Traverse City, Michigan. And of course, I hope more um, local bookstores will carry it. I just haven't had time to make those phone calls and connections yet. But if you're listening and you wanna recommend it to your local bookstore, that would be wonderful and appreciated. Thank you. And you are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for being here, Tamara. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with others, other people who you think will benefit from this episode. If you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at coach.kk. Let's connect.